The baby and I arrived at our sublet with garbage bags full of shampoo and teething crackers, sleeves of instant oatmeal, zippered pajamas with little dangling feet. At a certain point, I'd run out of suitcases. We had diapers patterned with drawings of scrambled eggs and bacon. Why put breakfast on diapers, I might have asked, if there had been another adult in the room. There was not. Outside, it was 19 degrees in the sun. For the next month, we were renting this railroad one-bedroom beside a firehouse. I'd brought raspberries in a travel crib, white Christmas lights to make the dim space glow. Next door, a fireman strutted toward his engine with a chainsaw in one hand and a box of Cheerios in the other. My baby tracked his every move. What was he doing with her cereal? It was only when I told my divorce lawyer, she's 13 months old, that my voice finally broke. As it turns out, divorce lawyers keep tissues in their offices just like therapists, only not as ready to hand. I know we've got them somewhere, she told me warily, rising from her swivel chair to search. As if to say, we aren't surprised by your tears, but it's not our job to manage them. If I cried for five minutes, it would cost me $50. Just over 13 months, I said, wanting to make it seem like we'd stayed married longer than we actually had. Again and again, he told me, our baby is just one year old. My best friend said, better to get out now. It did not help to argue with him in my head. It only helped to hold the baby so close that the globe of her belly became the whole world. And even that, well, it cut both ways. Our sublet was long and dark. A friend called it our birth canal. It seemed to be owned by artists. It was not made for a child. The coffee table was just a stylish slab of wood resting on cinder blocks. The biggest piece of art was a large white canvas that looked like a wall hanging on the wall. Sometimes the firemen next door ran their chainsaws for no good reason, but what did I know? Maybe there was a reason for everything. Our nights were full of instant ramen and clementines. My fingers smelled like oranges all winter. Our rooms were lit by the liquid pulsing of red siren lights through the slatted blinds. The kitchen counters were streaked with trails of red velvet batter and little beige buttons of hardened pancake mix, the residue of throwing sugar at a problem. By day, my baby crouched among the heavy art books with her wooden maraca and smacked the translucent pages of a story about a pile of leaves, the willow, the birch, the stray mitten, the lost key, and, at the very bottom, a tiny worm. My baby was gentle with her stuffed moose, nuzzling his patchy brown fur against her cheek. But with her wooden xylophone, she was an Old Testament god. It barely survived her music. We moved out in the middle of flu season. One night, I woke up at four in the morning with my mouth full of sweet saliva. I stumbled to the bathroom, past the dreaming baby, and knelt in front of the toilet until dawn. When the baby woke, I crawled after her from room to room, then lay on my side on the wooden floor and watched her, sideways. 
I didn't have the strength to stand, but I didn't want her out of my sight. The things she put in her mouth just blew my mind. All I could do was lie beside her toys, wrapped in a gray blanket, flushed and shivering. She handed me her favorite wooden stick, the one she used to play her rainbow xylophone. She picked up a Cheerio from the floor and lifted it tenderly toward my mouth. I was myself a child of divorce, as they say, as if divorce were a parent. When I was very young, I thought divorce involved a ceremony. The couple moved backward through the choreography of their wedding, starting at the altar, unclasping their hands, and then walking separately down the aisle. I once asked a friend of my parents, did you have a nice divorce? 